Welcome back to Cricket Central, the podcast where we discuss all the stories, big and small. It was day five from the SCG, where Australia fell eight wickets short in their desperate fight against the clock uh, to take 20 wickets in about one and a half days and, and secure the whitewash that they, well, so uh, deserved, really. Uh, but alas, um, it didn't happen. Uh, but it wasn't from lack of trying today, as uh, Hazelwood in particular uh, bowled very well, picking uh, four for 48 um, in South Africa's first innings um, and then getting one for nine or five overs in the second. Um, Lyon was thereabouts again, but the pitch, while there was a bit of turn, it didn't really deteriorate as we were hoping. Um, so it didn't have a huge amount of help there. Um, so in the end, uh, it was drawn as it probably would have been expected to with the amount of rain that we've had. Um, and for South Africa, they save a bit of face, I guess, um, with some determined batting in particular by Harmer with 47 and Maharaj uh, with 53. Um, Ethan, uh, Australia, they they took all the gambles, really. Um, they deprived Kawaja of the chance to get a double century um, by declaring. Um, then they enforced the follow-on, um, I think, for the first time since 2015. Um, but in the end... Just, uh, it was a bit too much of a, a tall order, would you say? Yeah, I think it would have been an almighty task to win the test with so much of the game cut out due to rain. And I think Australia did really all they could. I think the only question that potentially could have been asked would have been if, had South Africa avoided the fallen, would Australia have declared? And I suspect they would have in that case as well. So... I don't think Australia did a, a whole lot wrong. And as you said, probably even a deserved 3-0, especially considering that, you know, some of this, so much of this test has been brain affected. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it was just too much cut out. And, you know, credit to South Africa for the bit of grit that they did show today. Yeah, yeah, it, it really was uh, led by Simon Harmer. He sort of set the, the tone um, last night and into today, faced 165 balls. It was stoic batting, um, but also pretty technically sound batting. Um, I think uh, Pearson Lynch from, from over in Wyoming um, made the, the comment that um, Harmer is the, the most technically sound batsman of uh, anyone um, in the South African lineup. I'm not really sure how Pearson uh, deduced that since he, I don't think he, he's watched a ball of the match, to be honest, but uh, I guess the ESPN quick info commentary uh, tells you enough about what technique's like. So uh, anyway, but it was true. He had a pretty firm defence. And Keshav Maharaj as well, um, with a bit of a counter-attacking 53 off 81 balls, took to Agar and Lyon with some good shots there. It was, uh, um, well, an irritating partnership uh, for the Australians, especially in that first session uh, where they only managed to get that wicket of Janssen and, and no others. Yeah, it just seems South Africa almost in each innings are able to noodle together one substantial partnership. And we saw that in the first test with Verena and, and Janssen. I mean, there hasn't been too many rollovers for South Africa. I think while, we, while we've mentioned that they've struggled to hit 200, they're actually a decent side at clearing 150. So, it, I mean, it, it's... It is a positive sign for them that at least a couple of batsmen seem to stand up. And it, it's been interesting that it seemed to be a range of different batsmen over the, the course of the test. But 
I think the fact that Harmer and Maharaj could almost bat so easily relative to the other South African batsmen probably highlights the issues in terms of mental clarity that a lot of the top order batsmen have fighting for their spots and unclear on different game plans. And really it's been the six down in their order who have scored the most runs and just playing with a bit of freedom and actually bringing the attack back to the Australian bowlers. Yeah, yeah, and we should mention yesterday because we didn't do a podcast. I guess a, a few did did show a fair bit of fight, as you say. Pavuma with 35, Zondo with 39. Zondo got a very close LBW call. I think he thought he had hit it or something. He was um, up in arms about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was Cummins yesterday um, with uh, three three um, wickets, uh, some some beautiful balls, that ball to get Verena, um, the Sanju crusher, uh, to get LBW, uh, Rainer out for 19, but it was beautiful. But today the man was um, Josh Hazelwood back into the team um, and it was the after lunch spell. I was actually there for, for that spell. And I think it was two for three um, that he picked up. And uh, he was, I mean, he, he was moving it both ways. It was just incredibly consistent as he always is. It was actually genuinely one of the, the best spells that I've um, seen actually, Um and uh, yeah, just every ball uh, challenging the batsman and sort of kept the kept the dream alive for the Australians a bit when um, he did break that that partnership of Harmer and Maharaj, and then we were able to wrap it up pretty early um, in that uh, second session. There, uh, what did you think of Hazelwood today? Has he uh, put put Bolland back in his place a little bit and said, "Okay, let's calm down here. I'm the I'm the top dog." Yeah, I think so. I mean, there were minor questions about whether Scotty Boland could compete with the almost fab four that we termed them, but I think Hazelwood and Cummins showed their worth today and particularly the the movement that Hazelwood gets when he's on form, he looks as dangerous as anyone and arguably he's been more of a standout bowler in, in recent times and Cummins seems to go under the radar a little bit. Think back to his... I think five for nine may, may have been when we bowled out India for 36 and four for 48 in the first innings and one for nine in the second innings as well. So he's a cagey bowler. And while Scott Boland almost matches him for line and length in terms of accuracy, there was a little bit of movement today and he just has that cricket smarts that he can seem to work out batsmen. And I think that class exuded in both innings. Yeah, 100%. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've always loved Hazelwood, so it was good to good to see him really take the, the game by the, the scruff of the neck, as they say today. And um, yes, it, it was South Africa. We got him out for 255, so 20 runs short of that um, 200 barrier. And then we could enforce the, the follow-on, which we finally did. I said a few weeks ago if the follow-on was dead, um, but it wasn't dead today. I think if there's any, ever a ever a circumstance where you do enforce the follow-up. Today, it was quite obvious that you should. Um, and uh, we did, but really uh, didn't really uh, make the breakthroughs that we needed um, in in the, the final session of the match. Um, Cummins got Elgar pretty early with another squeeze um, of a short one down the leg side. He's got, seemed to have a real issue with that. Um, and then, you know, at the ground, you sort of, the intensity was there. You sort of thought the game was alive uh, for sort of the almost the first half of that session. But the real turning point was those two balls um, off of Lyon, the, the two 
post chances. First, uh, the LBW, which hit, um, I think it was Klaassen, outside the line. Um, Australia reviewed it and it was hitting the stumps, but obviously impact outside the line, so not out. And then the very next ball after that, um, the crowd crowd went up, uh, looked like a, a clear catch. Smith had scooped another off of line, but the uh, umpire yet again for the third time this match, uh, it, it, it turned out it had hit the ground. Um, and sort of just after that, you'd almost, you almost felt that the Australians were a little bit deflated. Lyon started to um, stray a little bit in his lines and really it was going to be a draw from there. Uh, did you agree that sort of seemed the turning point? Yeah, I'm not sure about turning point, but yeah, it, it did seem a, a tall order the, the whole way through. And Australia were almost behind the eight ball, even from the first hour and a half when they only managed one wicket. I think if there were any chance, they'd probably have to break the door open in the first 30 to 60 minutes of play. But you're right, any sort of chance or hope was swiftly strangled from them by the those umpiring decisions, which all seemed to go South Africa's way, um, which was unfortunate given that I mean, they were pretty, they were pretty out LBWs. I mean, obviously with the umpire's call system, it it works as a as a not out. But I mean, probably 40, 30, 40 percent of the ball was in line, and if not, the rest of the ball was was hitting. So, um, very very stiff decisions as well. On another day, that could have been three or four wickets to the LBWs, but even then, there's still questions about whether the job would have been done. Yeah, you're right. It was about three or four, and they were all uh, incredibly close. So, got a bit, got a bit stiff there. But um, actually, we probably should just talk a little bit more about that catch decision because, I mean, it seems ridiculous. That really, we hardly ever have these sorts of things with, with catches. But then, in one test, we've had three absolutely line ball ones. Uh, what did you think about that one with Smith today? He seemed to think that that one. Uh, I heard him speak after the game and he said that he was sure that he had um, got his fingers under that one. Yeah, it was a weird one. And I think we've seen this test, the soft signal has pretty much been disregarded mm. altogether because the commentators were saying that there's no conclusive evidence that that wasn't a catch. And I think that's a relatively safe decision to take. I think the, I think it was Kettlebar who was third up. I mentioned that he saw the fingers split to accommodate the ball and and that was true um but i was just wondering if i mean if that counts as fingers under the ball or not because if they they are on the side you can still you know take take the catch like that so i mean it, it's it's a hard one to say i was i i mean based on kettlebell's commentary of it all you, you could sense it was not out but i think that's a very very harsh decision sometimes it does appear that to like bounce into the hands, but this generally seemed like it, it did get sort of wedged in the two fingers and stay there. So I'm not sure the ground made too much of an impact, but at the end of the day, you're right. It's a very line ball decision. Um, and ultimately I don't mind too much at the third umpire as the power over the soft signal. Yeah. It's a good point you make because yeah, I don't know the answer. If, if, if the ball is touching the ground just a little bit, does that still mean that it's dropped? It's yeah. I like, yeah, we need some clarification on that one, I think, because, uh, yeah, it's a confusing day, perhaps, for, for some of the cricket fans who are, are less diehard like, like us. Uh, and with the LBW as well, I know my younger brother, who came along with me, he was like, how could this not be out? It's hitting the stumps. So, uh, yeah, I had to go for quite a while to try and explain uh, how it wasn't out there. So, you know, really, we got the full 
all the laws of, of the game. We also had five runs for hitting the helmet at one stage and then a, had a short run. It was a dramatic day for the umpires. Uh, anyway, the other talking point from the day, I guess, was the question of whether our selection for this match cost us. You foreshadowed it um, in our podcast after the second day. Agar really just didn't seem to, to trouble the batsmen all that much at all today. Um, do you think the result, I mean, it still would have been difficult, as you say, but do you think it could have been any different with, say, Boland there or, um, I don't know, even a, a better spinner like Swepton or something? Yeah, I thought it was, there was two interesting calls that Australia made. Number one was playing the extra batsman in Renshaw. So we, we, we could have well played Agar at seven and accommodated a Boland or a Lance Morris in there and played five bowlers. And that would have been relatively safe given our batting relatives to, to South Africa's. That was the best decision that we made. And the second one was playing Ashton Agar over another spinner like Swepps and Zamba or even Todd Murphy, who... I think many would agree is probably the better spinner, but has been overlooked simply because he bowls right arm off spin, which is the same as Nathan Lyon. Per- personally, I I'm, I'm I'm I can understand Agar being in the side. I don't think we would have played a leg spinner, um, and I, d- I don't think they would have been particularly successful. Even though the, there was quite a bit of turn on on the surface, I I wouldn't have played. Renshaw, I, I didn't think we needed the extra batter, but and I don't think the extra bowler would have made too much of a difference. What I do, I mean, there is a blessing in disguise about selecting Agar from this test match, and, and that's perhaps it's given us a bit of clarity about our spinners for India uh, in the sense that we're, we're going to need someone who can take a lot of wickets there. And thinking about what Stephen O'Keefe did with his left arm off spin, we probably want someone you know, who can get that turn and maybe bolt even a little bit flatter and a bit quicker. But, yeah, it, it wasn't the, the greatest showing for Ashton Agar. They gave him the opportunity, and it was a, a tough one to grab. But it was interesting, the almost role that they gave him. He didn't bolt too many overs in that first innings. I think it was Nathan Lyon, 25, and Agar, 7 at one stage. And then he managed to open the bowling in the second innings. And it was a bit, a bit wayward, but a couple of good balls in there as well. So... I mean, personally, I'd love to have a, a left-arm spinner playing in our lineup for India. But uh, at the minute, uh, you'd probably have to say our two best spinners are Lyon and Todd Murphy, and we might have to end up going with two offies. Yeah, he, he just seemed to to lose a bit of confidence as the game went on. And I saw in the field as well, he, he I think he dropped a catch. He was doing some misfields as well, which is very unusual for Agar. So... Yeah, um, definitely not not the test he was hoping for. And I mean, you, you sort of raised it a bit there, but I was very surprised that, that Agar was playing because, I mean, he hadn't played a test since 2017 and there wasn't even much talk about him being around the, the test squad at all. So do you think that before this test, the selectors were sort of thinking that he might have been their, their first choice? Has he somehow jumped Swepson um, for playing in India or... Was it a case of just giving him a shot, sort of a an audition, and just see what happens? Uh, yeah, I think the pecking order probably had him maybe as our third best spinner. I think Swepson's moved down after a couple of performances and maybe some issues with control on the white ball scene. So I think if, if we were planning on playing Swepson, we would have just picked him and, and played him. 
Um, mm. I, I think I think Andrew McDonald almost admitted this as well with the comments, but the the general hierarchy is in terms of the quality is Lion Murphy and then probably Agar, and then Zampa arguably hasn't had enough Red Bull cricket. And I think we wanted Agar for the point of difference, and it was a audition for that India series. And now, I suppose the selectors will have a little bit more to think about. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Matt Kuhneman as well. So hopefully he gets another shot. He's surely going to be around the mix as well with that left arm orthodox too. So yeah, never know. Um, what else was there? South Africa, their first draw since 2017. So uh, a uh, good, uh, good something good for them. Um, quite a streak of 35 runs or something. 30, 35 matches, I think, where they either won or lost there. Um, but uh, really, there was one other thing I was I was going to mention here. Oh, that's right, um, David Warner getting player of the series. Surely, uh, I mean, yes, it was an incredible two hundred. Um, but I think he only made thirteen other runs other than that century. Uh, surely, surely that's a, a bit stiff on the likes of uh, Travis Head or, or Steve Smith. Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting call, and and you're right. It was it was a, a two hundred a, a sort of half golden duck, and he's ended up on two hundred thirteen runs for the series. And really, it's I mean, there's not a lot to really distinguish the top four Aussie batsmen. I mean, Smith, Head, Warner, and Kawaja were all within twenty two runs of one another. So I I think they've probably just gone on. The, the memorable moments but yeah certainly that that 200 was one that will live on for for quite a while but an, an interesting call nonetheless I and mean, you could say Smith and Head having outscored David Warner and had a role both had a role with the ball as well and in the field probably took the merits but it, you're right there, there wasn't a lot splitting the two apart and besides the fact that Warner made the, the big milestone in his 100th test yeah, very interesting. I'm sure we'll discuss it on a, a podcast with the rest of the Cricket Central people, but I definitely would have gone Travis Head, um, really mainly for that 92 he made in Brisbane where no one else really made everything and then a couple of other 50s along with it. But uh, anyway, good to see good to see Warner get, get some recognition there nonetheless. Um, final thing that I mentioned, I was just looking here about the World um, Test Championship standings and what this draw um, means for us. Basically, it looks like if we draw or win anything in India, so just as long as it's not 4-0 in India, we're um, through to the uh, World Test Championship final. So seeing that we're going to, um, well, not lose, as um, I've uh, accurately foreseen, um, well, then, then we should be fine and should be playing India again in the World Test Championship finals. So, uh, yeah, some big series coming up, hopefully, uh, for us there. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't think we'll be worrying too much about not completing the whitewasher. It's a whitewash in, in spirit. I think if there was ever a series to deserve a whitewash, it was this one uh, for the Australians. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been entertaining nonetheless. I, I think we'll do a bit more of a wrap-up of it as I say, with everyone, um, but just your immediate takeaway from the from the series? I think initially we were 
a bit more optimistic about South Africa's chances, but rather painfully, this, if anything, marks to me a, a real demise in South African cricket over the last few years. I mean, they've, they've come to Australia the last three series and managed to win, and they've been absolutely smashed here and offered a performance that you know really is much more than what the West Indies or Pakistan could offer. And it, it seems to me a, a team that's struggling, you know, no sponsor, no analyst, and now a shortage of three test series. So it is a, a big shame for cricket that, that they weren't able to mount much of a, a challenge. I think the Aussies look very strong. This is the best I can really remember of this Aussie lineup playing in a home summer. I think every test has been domination. And it's a, almost a training session in terms of preparation for our two biggest series away in March and, and June. So not much of a contest in the end, unfortunately. And I think Australia heading in the right direction and South Africa heading in the wrong one. Yeah, I mean, to think that they were the, the second second on the World Test Championship standings coming into this, uh, it, it, it's quite a, a stark um, difference uh, to how we think of them going out. But uh, anyway, final thing I will just quickly ask you about. There was a uh, incredible match the other night with uh, the Adelaide Strikers managing to pull off the, the greatest run chase in T20 um, history um, with some support from the Hurricanes uh, uh, spinner, who, who I forgot, no, pace bowler, who I've forgotten his name now, but uh, uh, it was an entertaining finish to the match there, Ethan. Yeah, I think Fahim Ashraf, that's the, one. Been. That's the one. 3.3 overs, none for 61, economy rate of 17.43. Hard oh, to no. name a worse pair of figures than, than that. And really, the, the bowling was unbe unbelievably poor. It was a big decision, actually, to bowl him in the last over over someone like a Tim David. At least the offer you can bank on a bit of consistency. But I've, I've really enjoyed the BBL games where the pitches have been a little bit flat and one team goes out and hits 220, 230 in the, the first innings. Because I think heading into that innings break, knowing the other team's got a pretty good shot at chasing 220, is always a pretty enticing prospect. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't want it all the time, but certainly once in a while, those games have been highly watchable. And there's still room for the, the good bowlers can still go at 6, 7 and over. And the ones who struggle often go at 13, 14. And, and that's made for very, very entertaining games. And you're right, that, that game was no exception. Hurricanes with three fifties in their first innings. And it was uh, the Chris Lynn of old kicking it off for the strikers. And a, a really bit of a masterclass from Matt Short, who has been able to contribute both with bat and ball in this uh, BBL so far. He's becoming almost the, the find or the, the player of the tournament, some would say. But that was an expertly crafted exactly 100 not out and it seems that the strikers know how to you know exactly reach that 100 milestone in time to win the game um, but certainly that's a game to remember and one of the best chases you'll see yes yeah i think uh Vahim ashraf must have been taking a bit of advice from Mohammed nawaz uh, his fellow fellow pakistani countryman after nawaz's efforts against india in the, the t20 world cup uh but yeah, no, I also agree about the the pitch has definitely been a, a change this year to probably last year that there's a few more of those uh, batting decks and uh, yeah, it has been good to see. 
Okay, well, thank you for coming on again, Ethan. Thank you all for listening uh, and we'll be back soon.